Welcome to Poor Talk. This is the Happy Hour Edition, a.k.a. the Not Drink Cast, a.k.a. that we got some friends on the cast that we're going to cast about the cast, have topics to talk about on the cast. I'm Eric. Easy Tellum, Papito, DMV's finest, Fredericksburg's finest, Mansell's finest, and Charlotte, North Carolina's finest. Um, Brockwood Elementary, class of 06, valedictorian, just in case y'all were wondering. Today, we got two friends of the cast. We done had Tamika's man, Kevin, on here. We now have Tamika. We'll give Tamika a chance to introduce herself. We also have Raquel on here. After Tamika finishes introducing herself, we'll have Raquel go. Raquel is a friend of the family, knows Mama B and Big Brown, who have all been members or guests on the cast. Ooh. Um, my name is Tamika, and I graduated from VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, and I'm a legal secretary at a public defender's office. My name is Raquel. I went to Liberty University. Um, I got my master's in um, so psychology, basically, and I'm a mental health consultant at a hospital in Lynchburg. Ooh, very interesting uh, choices there. Legal uh, secretary and public defenders and then a mental health at a hospital. Okay. So many questions. Uh, wait, you know what? We'll circle around to that later. Yes. Um, so we have two black women on the cast we're trying to get some diversity because we've had a cast with trey and uh tori or christian however you know him and we kind of had a black man i'm like one eight so they didn't really count me in that but kind of a council panel conversation i think that's what we're kind of going with here um so you know we got a lot to get to um we have a list of topics curated by black women which is great because when i gave tamika one of my questions she did not like it so, so, but I also it made went, the cut I went, anyway. I went through a hard process as well of trying to think of co- topics for this. Um, I'm going to have to get her to hop back in. I went through uh, a hard time as well trying to come up with topics. And then I was like, why am I doing this? I got six sisters. I should just be hitting them and asking for their ideas. And I think once I did that, I got better topics. Um, so first topic that we have on the list, um, black woman caricature, um, I'm, I'm sure as has more context on these, so I'm just going to kind of read them out. He'll probably give us more and then let you guys slide into, uh, thoughts, opinions, anything. Um, this one, I'm going to actually hand off first and foremost to Tamika, cause she gave me this idea when I was asking one of my years past her and I didn't even know how to spell characters. So I don't really know what it was. <laughs> I don't really even know how to explain it, so I'm going to let her do the talking and go from there. Um, okay, so basically, when I think of like a Black woman caricature, I think of more so how other people view us as Black women. So um, oftentimes, you can be going into white spaces or um, non-Black spaces, and people um, will talk to you a certain way um, because they think because you're a Black woman, that's how you talk, that's how you act. Um, I experienced that just this week. Um, so I think it's something that happens very frequently to black women, whether it's um, something that's consciously happens um, or something that non-black people consciously do. But it's something that is actually very disrespectful, I think. And it comes off very odd and strange because I don't personally, it's kind of off-putting because I don't think, um, I don't understand how people can come to this determination of how to speak to me and how to act towards me. Um, without even knowing whether I act that way or not. And 
I think it's just kind of strange. So. Can you actually tell us what happened to you this week, just so we can get a better idea, or just oh. so people, listeners, can know as well? Of course. So I, like I said, I'm a legal secretary. So basically, some things that I do is I go to the court and I file things with the court. And um, there's a man um, who works at the Commonwealth Attorney's Office because I live in Virginia. So we have a Commonwealth attorney, not a district attorney or um, whatever. And um, basically, the person there was just they had a certain accent towards me, a certain type of twang and I didn't like the way that I was spoken to because I felt like I didn't speak like that. And I didn't understand why that person had to talk to me the way that they did. And I know they didn't mean it in a disrespectful way. They were just trying to meet me where I'm at, I guess, or try to kind of relate to me. But in that sense, it just didn't relate to me. It kind of looked weird. It sounded weird. Okay, I feel that. And I thank, I thank you for explaining that and giving us an example. Raquel, you got anything to touch on with that one? Um, I think it happens more so, especially in the workplace, um, you know, when you just work with different cultures. And sometimes I feel like people go out of their way too much to try to mm-hmm. kind of, like she said, meet you where you are. But it's like, yeah, maybe you should take the time to get to know me or or don't and just be normal. Um, you don't really have to, like, do all the extra stuff just because you see my skin tone and you assume mm-hmm. that I'm someone similar to what you've had and or seen and or talked to in your past um i haven't necessarily dealt with it um as like kind of front face as as some people that i've come in contact with thankfully because i don't really know how i'd respond to it (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot of smiling and nodding and fake laughing yeah (laughs) let me ask this for people who do approach you that way, since this is a conversation and maybe we can give some solutions for our white men, white women listeners out there so they can better their experience with their black female coworkers. Would you rather they just talk to you regular or would you rather them like fake get to know you so they can like meet you on your level? Um, I would rather they get to know me and and then you'll be able to meet me on my on my level. Um, mm-hmm. Like trying to like get a feel for me and then just going for whatever you think is going to be appropriate never works out for anybody so I think it would just be better if if you just be yourself and then if we click we click if we don't then that's fine too I mean we're going to work together regardless yeah I agree with that because I feel like um nobody's the same like even if even if I did speak or act the way that Um, this person or another person might think I do there's nothing wrong with that but I feel like not everybody acts the same so if you don't speak like that to your to your significant other or to your friends or whatever why are you speaking like that towards me and I just feel like um if you just be normal just talk regular like I don't know I'm not giving anybody else props for using ebonics towards me like it's not it's not like it's not plus one like it's just just be normal Okay, I feel that. That makes sense. Eric, what you got up next? Um, Next. So, black girls experience going to white high schools and PWCs, if you don't know what it is, predominantly. Uh, well, I call them PWIs, actually, predominantly white institutions but, or colleges. I didn't know you would know, know that term. Oh, yeah. 
That's what UD is. UD is PWI. Walk into a fucking lecture hall and I would see five minorities and four of them were on the athletics. Half the it's got to be like that. It don't, but like that's how it is. So, yeah, what's y'all uh, take on that? Either one of you can hit it first. Um. Okay, I guess I can go first. Um, I went to a private school in Northern Virginia and um, it was like a very like rich school. Um, so I didn't fit in like socioeconomic wise. I did not fit in color, like skin color wise. Um, I went there on a scholarship and it was really cool for like experiencing new things. And I'm really, I'm really grateful that I had that opportunity to do that. But development wise, as a black teenage girl in Northern Virginia, um, in a place where there wasn't really anybody who related to me on any level really was very difficult. And I think it was difficult because I felt like I wanted to fit in so bad as like fit in to be with, to relate to people who didn't really, like I didn't have to relate to them. And I think that it was hard for me to really find out who I was until I got around more people who looked like me, more people who had similar backgrounds as me and more people who had quite frankly the same beliefs as me. So yeah, that was pretty much my experience um, in high school and middle school because I went there for middle school. But it was just hard, I think. And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. So I actually found out last year, this is some context for my school. I found out last year that the school I went to was created I'm not sure if it was created during um like when Brown v Board was um passed but Fairfax County actually had scholarship vouchers for students to attend um private schools in Northern Virginia because you know when that happened they started to create um private schools so people wouldn't send their kids to public schools with mm -hmm. black kids and I think it was 60 vouchers and 45 of them went to this school. So it was like this school was built on basically like racist ideologies. And it's like, even if you might think that that doesn't exist anymore, like that kind of trickles down over the years, whether it's like consciously there or not. And I really think that um, a lot of the things that I experienced at that school was based on the school not really understanding that, you know, we have to be better than what we were. 50 years ago or however many years ago and acknowledging that little piece of history. Like I didn't know that until last year and I had graduated, I had graduated from that school in 2016. So it was like, I went there from, for, for seven years from 2009 to 2016 and I never knew that. So it's just something like, it's like their hidden piece of history that they don't want to share, but it's like, you have to acknowledge that so you can move forward. Um. Yeah, I was gonna say. I'm sure they're not advertising on the school pamphlets and mm -hmm. fucking talking about it at all. They're like, "Yeah, we're just gonna pretend it never happened and just sweep that under the rug." Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's it's grimy to think that a school was built like that, but once you think about it, that doesn't surprise me for a Virginia school. Because on our uh, cast where we had the black men talking and whatnot, Virginia school is just interesting on its own. Cause we taking field trips to plantations when they call mm -hmm. it like fancy names and things like that. We taking field trips to Confederate generals battlefields where they won battles. So I'm not surprised that there'd be a private school base that was rooted in racism. 
and they never yeah. told you that. And the thing that I think is, while well, we wait for Raquel still, the thing that I think is like the sickest, because looking back at it when we talked about it last time, I was like, yo, that, that's sick. Because up until sixth, seventh grade when I joined James Farmer, I used to tell people that my favorite president was James Madison. The only reason I told people my favorite president was James Madison is because in second grade, I knew there was a field trip to Monticello and I had to do a book report on James Madison and he had a huge house. And it looked like he had money, probably had some hoes too. <laughs> and then I got older and I was like, wait a second, this Monticello mansion estate is really Thomas Jefferson's plantation. Like yeah. that's sick. So I think it's kind of yeah. crazy that like, even at you being a black girl going to that private school, it's crazy to think that, like, hey, yo, like, somebody there knew that this place was rooted off racism, but they made sure that you didn't know about it. Yeah. And what's what's the sickest part is that every year there's, like, um, it's like a Founders Day ceremony where we, like, you know, honor the founders of the school. And it's like we're celebrating them. And it's okay to, like, celebrate, I guess. I don't know. It's okay to, like, celebrate that. But at the same time, it's like dang, we went here all that time and nobody said anything. And it's not like they have to say something like that, but you would think during the diversity conversations, during the, like, you know, we had a whole Black Student Union. You would think that we would know something like that, but they don't tell us that, so. And they don't tell us that because they know we would get upset. Absolutely. It's like, it's kind of like Columbus Day where it was like, everybody was like, oh, Columbus Day, it's great, great. Mm -hmm. And then like later you go on, it's like, um, why the fuck are we still yeah, this doing this? Like this, y'all hero. <laughs> Tell us about your experience, because, like I said, your experience <laughs> is intimate to me. I know it because yeah. you went to school around the way, not River River Bend. You know, <laughs> good schools, great schools. Honestly, Tell us um, about your experience. I didn't. I didn't really experience anything negative. Um, middle school, I was probably just like in my own little bubble, but. Um, high school, especially like I was the um, senior class president. Um, I think I was like the second black female senior class president at the school. Um, and I mean, there was like some controversy, but it wasn't like, again, it wasn't anything that was like in my face. And I didn't really recognize it as such until like I got older. And then I, I ended up going to a PWI um, and was a little bit more like aware of those like comments and looks and that kind of thing. Um, there were things where I would get in trouble for as um, the black senior class president that my white, um, well, I wasn't the senior class president. I was the school president. My senior class president was a male, was a white male that he didn't get in trouble for. Um, and then I, again, like I didn't realize or recognize those things until I came, I was able to step away from it and looked at it like, wow, that's, that's weird. Um, they go into a PWI, like, like I said, I went to Liberty University. Like it doesn't get any worse than that at this point. Um, <laughs> so that that was definitely. I mean, I I caught on to things very early on, like my sophomore year in college. Um, I was like, hold up, this doesn't seem like hold up. What is what is going on? Um, but yeah, like you were, like y'all were saying, like I'd go into like a lecture hall of like a hundred people and see like three black people and be like, okay, well. Guess it's us. <laughs> so um, I don't know. It was it was mm -hmm. definitely eye opening. Um, I I definitely questioned my decisions in going to a PWI once I got to the college because I was like, what am I doing here? Um, but um, kind of like Tamiko was saying, I did find 
um, you know, that the group of people where we were able to kind of like uplift each other in our, in our culture. And um, we started building things from that. And yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. It worked. Let me ask both of y'all this. Um, just on the white high school aspect, being that we all, we all grew up in the same type of environments. We're not going to talk in no other way, at least where we went to school. Um, do y'all feel that y'all experience was much different than black males at these high schools? And do you, and if so, why? What made it so different? Absolutely. <laughs> and I would say yes, because I think that, um, well, I want, my school was smaller, so it was like 130 people in my grade. So it wasn't like it was like, you know, a group of people who were, who were more popular. I, I don't want to use that term, but um, more popular than the next. They were just bigger groups of friends. And I think that the Black men were more accepted mm. in that way. And not that I was trying to be accepted, because I think that I was a very friendly person. I'm a very friendly person. But I think that um, in schools, in environments where there's more white people um, or more non-Black people, I think Black men are far more accepted into those spaces um, than white, I mean, than Black women are. And especially in my school that I was at, I think that is definitely the case. I 100% agree with everything that you just said. Um, um, I feel like there was a lot of, I, I had a ton of conversations with people about the word ghetto and um, ratchet and things of that nature um, in regard to like just the way that, you know, me and my friends would like kind of joke around and play and laugh and things like that, just like in the cafeteria and things. But like, let a, african-american male do those things and it's like funny you know um they're not being labeled with these derogatory terms and it's like why because <laughs> mm -hmm. you know we have different body parts i don't know it just never really made sense to me i remember oh sorry okay, i was gonna say like I no, you good. this one time in eighth grade because i feel like also this probably isn't in the scope of what you were asking but um i remember in eighth grade like we were doing some like vocab thing and like we learned the word loquacious and this one boy kept on saying loquacious loquacia because he thought it was like it went mm -hmm. and like looking back you have to think like why would you connect the two like the name loquacia with loquacious because you know loquacious is kind of like a talkative loud whatever mm -hmm. and it's like it's like you think back and nobody thought to like correct stop him yeah. you know yeah nobody thought to correct that and think that something like that was offensive to the two black girls in the room not even two like in middle school there were five black girls in my whole grade um and that was pretty much the case up until high school when the high school was a little bigger um but i mean i had the same friends who were the black girls all of middle school and you know it's not it's not hard to make friends with all the other black kids in the grade when there's only 10 of us at most. So. Oh, okay. Um, before we continue. Uh, it is like in retrospect now, especially um, going to like a PWI and going to kind of middle schools and high schools where there wasn't much diversity. Would you 
looking back, would you have wanted to even thought about going to an HBCU or are you kind of just happy the path that you went on? Personally, yeah, I definitely wish I would have went to an HBCU. Um, I took a, I took a, um, it was a, a black history class and it was completely different than what my friend at Howard took, you know? Um, so, I mean, it wasn't even taught by a black professor, which not, not to say that like black people are, are more aware of, I mean, we are more aware of black culture, like naturally, but like, that doesn't mean that a white person can't read the same things that we read and learn the same things that we learn, you know? But, um, it's, it's something different when they like are able to bring in their own personal, um, experiences and things of that nature to the classroom, um, and things that their even ancestors taught them, um, so yeah, I definitely, I mean, just, just from that little tidbit, not to mention like Greek life and different things like that, that I definitely missed out on. Um, that would have been cool. Yeah. Um, I think I, I'm not sure because, um, like VCU is like quote unquote, like a diverse school. So I feel like I, I, I don't want to say I don't have any white friends, but I don't, I have mostly black friends at VCU and I think I, I, not a circle, but I have like a considerable amount of friends who are black and I'm also um, in a Greek lettered organization. So it's like, um, I don't know. I feel like I don't, I understand. Um, I think learning things would have been better from a different perspective. Most of my like African-American studies classes were taught by white people. Um, and that's, I think, the worst part at a PWI is like that has African-American studies or um, African studies or things like that. They're taught by non-Black professors, which doesn't add up to me. But um, yeah, I'm not sure the answer to that, because I think on one end I would, um, because it would definitely be a different experience. But I also feel like I just found who I need to surround myself with at my current or at VCU. Yeah, I mean, you, you're with Kevin. He runs a city, so he said you're that? already one up with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Kevin said you run the city. Yeah. Man, what's understood <laughs> don't exactly. gotta be said. All right, I'm gonna hit him with the next question off the list. I'm gonna hit him with the next one. Doctors are to black women, what police are to black men. What y'all got on this? Raquel, you can go first. <laughs> um, honestly, <laughs> when you sent me that, I thought about it for a minute and I was like, I don't I don't think that I, I quite understand. Can you help mm. me? Uh... Um I'll help you a little. I did a little research for it when the topic came across me. Um they were saying that like the rate that like black men get killed and mistreated mm. by police officers. That's the experience a lot of black women have with their encounters mm -hmm. in just the medical profession. And there are a couple of like black women who have done research on it, been published in the New York Times, uh, mm -hmm. the Daily Magazine or whatnot. They've got some lengthy articles, all doctors, mm -hmm. ladies with PhDs, and they've pretty much backed it to, to like dumb this down a lot. They pretty much backed it down to, for whatever reason, black women are mistreated by doctors for one of three reasons. One, they don't they don't think that they're coming in there like for base like on base or whatever they think they're coming in there to get these painkillers because they're addicts or to sell it they think for whatever reason that black women have higher pain tolerances which 
I don't know where this came from. Apparently it came from like a study done with the slaves back in the 1600s. So clearly throw that out. But they think that black women have higher pain tolerance or they think that what they prescribe or the way they speak to the black women, they won't understand it anyway. So they're not going to waste their time doing it. One of the one of the doctors she had interviewed or whatever off record stated that he always just gives black women who come in with like any pain meds, this and that. He gives them Tylenol three because he doesn't know if they'll be able to pronounce the bigger, stronger medicine. And he doesn't know if they'll be able to understand like the dosages, which is like how you go somewhere, become a doctor, go to school. And you don't think that you can like explain to someone how to take medicine or how to ask for their medicine. Like it don't it's make written sense. It's on the label too. It's it's literally written it's, on the label. It's like take two pills every four hours. Like, where does that get misconstrued in anything? Um, I mean, no, personally, I haven't experienced that. Also, I'm very intentional about the doctors that I choose, and I've never had to like go to the emergency room where I get like a random doctor. Um, every OB I've had has always been an African American woman. Um, the therapists that I've looked into have been African American. Um, and again, that's me protecting myself and, and being able to go to somebody that can like understand me and my culture. Um, so it's very intentional. Um, but also, again, I haven't had the misfortune of having to go into an emergency room and needing that emergency, emergent care um, and having to experience anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's really interesting. That alone, that alone is interesting on its own that you take that extra step because you know yeah. you need to be able to protect yourself. Yeah. So you seek a black OBGYN or a black physician yeah. or the black therapist. Yeah, I personally like, this is bad, but I just don't go to the doctor. <laughs> um, and I think, I think that's based on history of doctors with black people in general. Um, it's based on personal history as well. Cause I, I just, I have a fear of, of needles. So I don't like to go to the doctor anyway. And um, I think it is true that people, um, that doctors don't believe that black women have, like they have high pain tolerances. And I did do some research as, on this as well when I think of my girl, Serena Williams, who could have died in birth in um, labor. Um, she could have died. I think of all the black women who have, um, who have birth complications because their doctors don't necessarily believe them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did, I, I also wanted to bring up um, how this also, like we wanted to extend it to black men as well, because I think people in general, and this is just my mind going, but I think people in general don't think that black people think that black people have very high pain tolerances. So that's why we have instances of like Eric Garner, George Floyd, and this other woman, you guys should look up Natasha McKenna, who was actually stun gunned um, by police in Fairfax County um, Mm. to death. And it's like, um, that's why those things can happen because they don't believe them when they say, you know, this hurts. Um, And that's actually a really big issue. Um, And, you know, it's like wrong to kind of disclaim when someone's saying something hurts to not pay attention to it. And I think it's it's very different when it comes to, you know, black kids or adults versus non-black kids. But it is it is unfortunate that we have to be very intentional in 
um, those things. And that's why I don't go to the doctor because I don't have a black one. So, so yeah. I almost feel like to me, just like even a little bit of logic, it's hard for me to fathom that like these people go, they go on to school for eight years post college. They go get these degrees in medicine and somehow, some way, they still have this ridiculous notion that black people can have a higher pain tolerance yeah. solely mm -hmm. because they're black. And off an old study at that, that mm. was from sleep yeah. times. Like we do studies all the time. We're constantly testing out new like hypothesis. But we're like, no, no, no. The one from slave time, all good. Not even going to like do any other research or look at it at all. That's crazy. Yeah, that is just crazy to me. Yeah, it's actually really bizarre. Um, before we go to the I next agree. topic, can you give me like a real quick synopsis of the Serena Williams thing? Because I did not oh, hear about this. Yeah, so basically, um, Serena Williams, when she gave birth to her daughter, um, she kept on telling the nurse, like, basically, something's not right. Something's not right. And the nurse didn't really believe her. Um, and I think she had, like, blood clots. I'm not sure if anybody else on this knows what exactly happened. But I'm not sure if she had blood clots or what. But something was really wrong with her. And she basically pressed them to check her out. And when they checked her out, I, I, I think it's blood clots, but I'm not exactly sure. But basically, like, she literally could have died. And it just really hurts my it hurts me because, you know, Serena Williams um, for years, like even since I was a kid, is has been viewed as this masculine type woman where they don't see the feminine side of her because she's like this strong athlete. And like that even plays a role in how much people think that she can feel pain. And I don't think she deserves that. I think for all the money she pays for her doctors and all that stuff, I think she deserves, not even all the money because everyone deserves healthcare, but I'm just saying like, I feel like she deserved better than what was given to her. Yeah, I agree. And it's hearing it, I also didn't know about this, but hearing it like is really like shocking and like, it makes you take a step back. Cause if this is like one of the celebrity, one of the top of the top line, black woman in America, like everybody knows Serena Williams and what she's done, what she's done, not what she's done, what she's done, what she does. Right. And that's how she was treated. Yeah. Who's the thing this ain't mm -hmm. happening to every other one or yeah. can't happen mm -hmm. to any other one? Just, just believe people when they say they're in pain. It's really not that hard. Like it, it doesn't seem like it would be that really, hard. It should really just be common sense, but apparently, fucking not, dude. Yeah. Um. All right. Next topic. Um. Black women in the workplace, I guess we kind of already talked about this just surface level in the beginning when you were talking about going down to the Commonwealth office. Um, so I guess I, I'm assuming we're going to be talking about kind of issues that you might run into, kind of unfair treatment, um, anywhere from application process to actually starting onboarding in a job, working there, anything like that. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay. So... I, my name is Tamika, so <laughs> um, <laughs> take that for what you will, but um, I think that I, I did a, I read something about how like HR offices basically, you know, view names and how they determine who they're going to hire and things like that when it comes to a name. And I, I learned that in middle school, I think, um, and it made me feel a little bit discouraged because dang, like I like my name, like Tanika, that's a cute name. 
but other people might think it has certain like personas and certain type of things attached to it which isn't fair on me but um I don't know I I I love my job and I love my office um and my office is a little different than I think previous places I've been at have been so I don't think like I can speak on that for my current job but I will say like in previous jobs like I have some experience especially in like lower paid jobs I have some experiences of people um not just being respectful of me as a black woman or just I don't know not great um yeah for me uh, the whole name thing is kind of the same um people love calling me Rachel um and yeah so um I used to like correct people all the time and I've gotten to the point where I'm just like kind of desensitized to it and I, I just rather not keep having to tell you that that's not how you pronounce it and it's just really baffling to me like I say hi my name is Raquel and they're like oh hey Rachel how did you hear that like <laughs> right how do you <laughs> nothing in Rachel. my name seems like but you know it's fine um it's really not but I just I have learned um that and that's actually one of the things it's kind of funny that we were talking earlier about how um other people come to us and kind of adjust the way that they are around people because um they, you know, are adjust the way that they are around us because they, you know, don't want to be like, disrespectful or whatever. Um, and so I feel like I definitely go into a workplace in the beginning, um, walking on eggshells, um, kind of, and, you know, taking my time to get to know people. Um, because I don't, I mean, nine times out of 10, I'm probably going to be the only, um, black woman if not like there's like one or two more um but from a a cultural standpoint I, I have to always understand that at some level these people are not going to understand me fully um and so I don't know I think I just always have to stay on my p's and q's and I've never been very like relaxed at a job ever um the the past two jobs I've had are, have been at hospitals um and I, you know, have worked with doctors and I think they're just kind of arrogant regardless. <laughs> um, like if you don't have the, the same level of education as them, they're just going to be that way regardless. Um, so I don't necessarily equate that to my race. Um, I think that's just how most of them are. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been challenging in that aspect because again, like I, I, was raised to be, you know, respectful at all costs. Um, and so even when I do feel disrespected, I, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, thank you kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. It's never mm. been very comfortable. That, that honestly kind of like merges, we can kind of merge our next topic with that. I was really going to hit that, but it seems you beat me to it. Yeah. Cause our next topic would be, um, do black women feel like they always have to be in check because they don't want to be kind of considered or categorized mm -hmm. as like the angry black woman? Um, I don't know, Tamika, if you wanted to go first. Okay. Um, I would say yes. And I would say that in addition to what Raquel said about being on eggshells in the beginning of a job. Um, because in the beginning of my job, although I really do love it and I did love it, 
there was a lady who was really kind of rude to me and um it was based on I don't really I don't want to say it's based on my race but it was based on my age because she's older than me and she had more experience and you know I think people I had my job before I graduated so I think it was a little type of I don't want to say jealousy but kind of like feeling the type of way because this girl is 22 23 and working basically the same job as I am and I'm however old 45 I don't know but um I didn't want to bring it up to anybody in my job and then I did but I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't, my first instinct when she did what she did was to say something back to her because what, but I didn't, I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to be seen as like drama and I didn't want to be seen as angry in this place that I just started at. And, you know, she messes with me every few weeks, she messes with me. And um, I told, literally, I told my, my work best friend, I told her, last week that it's one more time and I'm going to say something um, <laughs> um, because I I think enough people in my office know that I'm a pretty mellow person and I'm very chill so it's like if you're acting this way towards me I'm, I have a right to respond as a woman as a person but don't view me as this angry angry person when you agitated me so um yeah I yeah (laughs) um I think I'm naturally well I know that I am naturally sassy um (laughs) and um it's just like a quick instinct it's nothing that like is intentional it just is the first thing that comes to mind is to just be like a little sarcastic um and so I absolutely suppress that Uh when I go into you know starting a job and then when I start to feel like I can get a little comfortable I might bring it out but it's never like full-blown um because I don't want you know people to think is this sarcasm or is she just like aggressive in nature and I don't know I like to make jokes I like to play around I'm I'm like I'm very joyful in that way but I don't think that that comes across I don't I don't know I don't um I've I've gotten very many people tell me that I don't seem approachable and I'm like me <laughs> me um but yeah so but it's very much because I, I'm afraid of that whole angry black woman depiction that's the hardest one to deal with that that you're not approachable because I get that from time to time I really be like I'm probably the most approachable <laughs> dude I know yeah. like all I do is Facts. joke and have fun <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was also going to say it doesn't um, help that, like, me personally, as you know, I'm a taller person. So it's like, I feel like it doesn't help that, yeah. you know, I'm a taller person. You know, I used to be athletic. I used to play sports. So it's like, I don't want to be seen as this aggressive, like, masculine type person. And then me angry on top of that. I don't like the combination. Yeah, <laughs> It's not sitting right with me. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah you, you gotta and press I, it's that. It's always been that way, way back <laughs> because of middle school, because I got tall quick. I got tall at an early age, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. I understand that. We gonna we gonna spin a little. We gonna spin into relationship <laughs> aspects. Oh. Um, I'm gonna see what I'm gonna start y'all off with. I'm gonna see what I'm gonna start. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bounce around a little, Eric. Whenever you got one, you can throw it in there as well. Um, uh-huh. I'm gonna start with this. What is your place 
what do y'all think as a black woman, excuse me, is your place in a relationship? Raquel? <laughs> um, I, I'm very like 50-50. I, I know that that's not like the, uh, like the, you know, whatever, whatever people like generally believe, but I'm very 50-50. I feel like we should both be like giving love. We should both be like, have that support role. Um, I mean, if my man loses my job, I need to be able to, you know what I'm saying? Like I have to be there to support and be there for him as much as I, I, I need him to do that for me. Um, I'm not the type that's like, oh, you know, it's his responsibility to, to, to be the supporter, to be the caregiver. I think that that's very 50, 50. Um, I think that every portion of the relationship is 50, 50. And then there are a lot of people that will argue and be like, that's not possible kind of thing. But I think that it is, if you go into it, like you guys are friends and I've always built like any relationship that I've been on in my current relationship. Like we started off as friends for several years and then we were like, this is, I mean, this is like really comfortable and then just decided to like make it romantic. Um, and I mean, from being friends to being in a romantic relationship, we haven't changed. Uh, he gets on my nerves just as much as he did as a friend. So it's like, you know, like, I don't think that things should switch up just because you're in a romantic relationship. And if the day comes that we get married, I think that it should continue to go that route. Like, I don't think that things should just start switching up just because titles change. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I feel like you shouldn't break what's not broken. Mm. And I feel like in my relationship, I don't feel like there's like necessarily like anyone has like a specific role or specific place. Like I feel like very much it is a 50-50 type thing. And sometimes, you know, some days somebody might be given 80 and someone might be mm -hmm. given 20. Yeah. I was about to get my math wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's like, it is a very traditional thing to say like, oh yeah, the woman's place is wherever mm -hmm. and the man's role is to do whatever. And that may very well be, but I wasn't raised that way. And I was raised on giving everybody respect and treating everybody fairly. And as long as I give respect, I expect to get respect. And I feel like, I feel like designating certain roles and certain places in a relationship is kind of removing that aspect of respect for me. So, yeah. Let me throw a little, just a little question out there, because this was a question that was submitted a few times. And I think the answer will be interesting based off of both of your answer today. Um, do y'all believe in the man being the head of the household then? And whatever head of the household entails in like y'all relationship, whatever head of the household means to y'all, do y'all think the man would be the head of the household? Um, <laughs> I think it's a partnership. <laughs> I don't think I need to say that <laughs> my partner, I don't think I need to say that my boyfriend is the person who is going to lead everything, who's going to make the decisions, mm -hmm. because at that point, what am I? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of takes away from who I am. And I understand that's very different than what other people might believe. But I was, I was raised on strong Black women. I was raised mm -hmm. around strong Black women. And I was raised around equal parts. So I don't believe in thinking that just because someone is a man in a relationship or in a family, that he has to be the sole determinant of everything that goes on within that family mm -hmm. and within that house. 
and I get I get maybe splitting some things and having discussions and whatever but I don't believe in oh we talked about so and so and then he gets the final say I don't believe that should be the case just because he's a man um I completely agree with that um definitely goes with the 50 50 um I feel like um there are things that he's better than and just speaking of my current relationship I think that there are things that he's better than I am at and absolutely lead me please teach me Mm -hmm. you know help me grow in those areas but there are things that I'm better at than him or I may have more knowledge about than him and I and he expects or wants me to lead him in those things um I think the head is someone that is willing to ask um you know hey can you help me out in this area um not necessarily like some type of like monarch who tells and dictates, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think that um, there should be one person like Tamika said that, that is making all the calls because what if you're making the wrong calls and who's checking Mm -hmm. you, you know? Um, That's why, you know, you have that partner that like, if I'm good at communication and you're good at something different then like we can kind of come together and build this amazing household and just be great goals. Mm-hmm. Period. Building, building houses together. Listen up, Kev Brucko. I don't know your boyfriend's <laughs> name, but listen up as well. Oh, damn. <laughs> um, we really got two more, and then I might hit you with a couple three six five questions, and then that could really be the wrap. Uh, it's probably gonna be more than a couple. <laughs> I hate to undersell it. Um, <laughs> all right. I want to know about the black woman dating pool. For both of you, being at those PWIs or whatnot, maybe just even where y'all reside. I don't know if y'all live in like Atlanta where it's Chocolate City or nothing like that. So like the black dating pool. And then I also want to know if y'all think a generational cycle exists in black women that needs to be broke within toxic and bad relationships. That was one I didn't really know much about, but I had two different people submit the same type of question. So I was like, maybe it needs to be asked. Um, uh, oh, go ahead. Um, I was gonna say, as far as the dating pool at my PWI, I don't think that I ever dated anybody that went to my school. Um, yeah, I no, I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, I was more so friends with the Africans, um, which was, they were really cool, but they weren't like checking for me because I'm not African or you know, um, yeah. But we were all cool. Like it wasn't like I mean, we made jokes about the fact that they like were very strictly like you're not African. I don't. We can be friends, but that's about it, kind of thing. Um, which was cool with me. Um, yeah, I never dated anybody at my school. And it wasn't more it wasn't so much that I was like, I couldn't really connect as much as I mean, not only did I go to a PWI, but it's a it's a um it's the, the largest Christian university in in the United States. So like um most of them were conservative. Um, and I'm not that. So <laughs> um yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't very much that we could, like, really talk about. I mean, more than friends. So, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't really go that route. Are we doing this one topic at a time? Give us two. Okay. All right, cool. Go ahead. Yeah, y'all can do it one at a time. Okay. Um. Well, at in high school, I did not um date. Nobody was checking for the cute black girl. Sorry. Um. <laughs> But in college, <laughs> I mean, that's where I found my fish. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Um, college was different because, you know, in high school, they made me feel so ugly and they made me feel not cute. Mm. But when I got to college, that's when I realized look, I was a cute girl because every, like not everybody, but people were checking for me. Um, and that kind of like kind of breaks down a few things about like what I was talking about, how at that school it's kind of hard for the development for black girls. But, you know, in college, it was cool because, um, yeah, I found I found my boo um in college so I don't think it was I don't think at VCU in itself it was difficult um but in at the other predominantly white institution I went to um very difficult for girls who look like me mm-hmm. do y'all remember part two of the question do y'all oh, need no, to I remember. It? do you need to to make a do you, you need can go. all right um, yeah take it I absolutely think that there are barriers that need to be broken. I mean, there are tons of studies out about um, how the Black community is leading in divorce. And um, I think just the way that we communicate as African-Americans in general has never really been uh, fine-tuned. And I mean, mean, if you could just look at the the lack of African-Americans that are in therapy. Not that I think that every single person needs to be in therapy, but there are a lot of people that do need to address that emotional um, aspect of themselves that they just don't want to because they don't believe in like getting into mental health. And that's definitely a um, cultural um, error that we've kind of built a foundation on from generations to generations. Um, And I definitely think that that's something that needs to be kind of broken down and we need to let that go because it does nothing but hurt us in the long run. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, This question also kind of makes me think of like how um, people have to like, they say like you struggle for love, like you have to go through all this, all these things um and kind of like you know you have to get through the funk and at some point you know whatever um I definitely don't think that's the case anymore and I don't think it should be the case I don't think anybody should struggle um in a relationship just because they've been together for um however long Mm -hmm. and you know I see all these posts all the time about you know like old people from however I don't know like from like the 60s and the 70s like how people had like extra families and things like that and it's because you know women basically are kind of taught that you need to really fight for your man you need to fight for your partner and you know you hold them down through whatever so mm-hmm. if they're having if they're you know stepping out a little bit you know back then i feel like women were told like okay they're stepping out you need to do something better so that they won't do that anymore And I think over, I feel like at least in this newer generation, as an adult, I see that more where people don't believe that, like they don't believe that they have to stay in this, this thing, this relationship because, um, because they were in it for a long time or whatever. Um, So I agree. And I agree to the point where um, I think that is breaking a, um, a generational cycle because, you know, someone can see okay i'm gonna just put my business out there for instance i have a brother who is um who i have two brothers who have different moms than me and like you know like just kind of stepping out like you know and 
my mom riding for my dad. Love her to death. Love my dad. But it's just like, you shouldn't have to do that. Like, you shouldn't have to ride for somebody just because, you know, you kind of love them or because whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's not right, it's not right. And we shouldn't, like, we're taught that we have to do that as women in general. We're taught that we have to do that. As a Black women, we're taught that we have to be strong for our husbands, for our children. So I just don't feel like we have to do that moving forward in life. Sorry, that was long. <laughs> That's good. It was a good answer. Yeah, and kind of build on that too. Um, as far as like the whole like cooking thing too, I just that irritates me. I mean, not <laughs> not to say that like I I shouldn't cook for my man or or I won't. I absolutely will. Like, but I teach him um, because no one did uh, at all. Um, and so I like, I'm like, I don't want you to get to any point in this to think that you're going to come home and there's just going to be this hot cooked meal on the stove waiting for you. Like, unless, you know, we've, we've, you know, made that decision together. That's not something that I'm going to do every single day. Um, but you know, I mean, if I decide I want to cook today, then cool, we can do that. And vice versa though. I think it should very much again, 50, 50, like, I think you know, if I'm going to be cooking for you, you need to be cooking for me. Like, we're a family. This isn't, like, I don't have specific, again, we don't have specific roles. There's nothing that um, I should be doing that you should not be doing. Um, and all that, the, the the part, Tamika, you know, spoke about, like, men cheating. We're never going to have a conversation where it's acceptable or okay for women to be having that conversation. Like, so like, mm-hmm. if it's not acceptable for a man, to, I mean, a woman to be doing, then I don't think that we should even be like, why are we even having a conversation about like men doing it? You know. Um, but again, that's um, especially in Black culture. I mean, if you if you look at Muslim the Muslim culture, like that's just that's just uh, that's unfortunately like. That's how I guess the cookie crumbles, but I mean, absolutely not anything that we should continue to to allow to happen in our homes. And God bless Beyonce for taking back Jay Z, right? Because it's the same thing. And you know what? One day we're gonna free my sis, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'll free your sis. You know how that goes. But we see it a lot today with social media too, when everybody's business is out there. Yeah. Cardi B, I mean, everybody's business is out for the world to see. Yeah. And it's it's I feel like it's the same thing, but just a different, a whole different um like type when you have social media. I mean, like for instance, like NBA Youngboy who could have like ten kids and you know, future. it's like nothing. Yeah, future. Oh it's a, it's a whole different thing and I'm I'm curious to see what we look like in 30 years. I feel like there's just too oh, much yeah. of people want to put all their information out there. Like, you got to keep some stuff in the house, man. Not everybody needs to yeah. know what's going on in and out your life. And then we've talked about this on the podcast. Es can probably break it down better than I can. But the 80-20 rule, like, I think hey, about yo, that so 80-20, man. I told you all about it. I know y'all know about the 80-20 rule. Y'all didn't y'all didn't yes. see why did I get married. I, I thought you were um, talking about that, but I was like, I know he's <laughs> That's absolutely what I'm talking about, man. That 80-20 rule. Because somewhere along the line, 80 wasn't doing it. And we see the mm. 20 that we don't have. And then we go, they go get with that. And it's like, dang. Now I'm 20% to 100 right. when I used to be 80% there. And it's never it's, it's never worked it. All the cheaters I know who like really cheat. 
like not this little I slip up and cheat, but like the cheaters who really cheat, cheat. It'd be like, bro, like what what was you thinking? And then when they talk about it, it was like, man, we hung out for a month or two. And I was like, and that was worth ruining two years worth of relationship. You got a kid on the way. Like, what was you actually thinking? Yeah. Mm. Eric, you got anything else before I dive in these three, six, fives? Yeah, I think this is, uh, I mean, from the answers that we've gotten all podcasts, I don't think this is really going to have anything. But if you make more money than your man, does that allow you to have more say in the relationship? No, because what if he gets a promotion and then does he have more say than me? No, let's just keep the 50-50. Yeah, I'm going to say no, too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm going to say no. Let me throw a wrench into this. Um, Eric said more money. Uh, what if you make significantly more money? I'm talking you bringing back 120,000 a year, and he peddling his little forty thousand, and he tell you, "Hey, I need to, I need the house clean when I get back." Do you get a promotion? Do you do you think that's the case for men? Like, do you think men should have more say if they make 100k versus their partner making 40, 50? I'm curious because I'm gonna give you my honest answer, but I got a feeling you already know this. Me being, I tell everybody, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up in a strict religious type household in the south of Virginia, not the south of Virginia, but just Virginia. Um, I grew up, my parents are about the age of everyone else's grandparents. My dad's 78, my mom's 71 right now, second youngest of 11. Um, six sisters, four brothers. What I will say is just the way I was raised in the environment I grew up in, the man is the head of the household regardless, just how we were raised. And I think for me, I would need a situation where I would be head of the household because like you said, if it ain't broke, don't break it. My parents been married going on 50 years. This year will be their 50th anniversary. They got 11 kids. All of us do all right. So it worked for them. My mom will get on here and she say herself, she had a good life. Like there was never no like disrespect or anything like that. I think you can be head of the household and still respect your significant other. Cause like my dad would say, that's his best friend and his wife. He was never going to disrespect her. So I do think regardless of how much money I make or she makes, I would be the head of the household, but I'm not going to be no tyrants. <laughs> like we could talk about stuff. We can have discussions that lead to decisions. <laughs> But what does that, what does having that role do for you? Um, I would just describe it on how I've seen my dad operate and how my brothers operate. Head of the household came down to stuff when it came to like family matters of like big issues. Like if we're going to make a big purchase on a summer vacation home or winter vacation home, he was going to be the final say once they got that together. If like we was having a discussion, a sit down discussion, on like certain like things that was gonna go around the house or improvements that was gonna go around the house. There was gonna be a discussion between my mom and my dad, but then my dad was gonna be the one to like come out and give that information or make the final decision. When it came to stuff like that, they were gonna decide behind closed doors what they were going to do, but my dad was gonna present himself as the mm-hmm. one who was like stating this is what's gonna happen. And that's just kind of based from like, a lot of it is really based from the religious background in which we grew up apostolic Christian. And it's just like biblical terms. The man gonna be the head of the household, so he wasn't really gonna break that. Yeah, I get that. I mean, my church is like that too. I'm. I. I don't yep. really. I don't know. I didn't grow up like 
I grew up with my cousins in the house with me, so it had many adults. I had my grandparents in my house, so it was like it wasn't very like one person's gonna my uncle he lived there and he wasn't necessarily the person who was gonna say what happened like it was my mom and my aunt together so yeah i just grew up a little different but they, i mean they go to church now and they kind of believe in that but not me though <laughs> uh i can't be mad at it. if it works that's my only thing for real if it works yeah. it works so as long as i got something that works who am i gonna tell somebody else to change it if what they got mm -hmm. Bro, I'm just thinking about the fact that she was like, what if he got a promotion? And then I just right. thought, like, he comes home one day, like, reverses the Uno card. Like, I'm right. the fucking head of the household now. Like, all right, bet you got I'd it. I'd have that paste up on me every time. <laughs> you got anything else, Eric? All right, here we uh, go. I'm good if you want to go hit you with a few questions. We got a list. It's called 365 Deep Thought-Provoking Questions. We generally give it to all of our guests at some point if they've come on. Um, her answers are provided. The listeners like that. If y'all can't think of an answer, y'all need some bases. I can read you her answer if that helps. Uh, ask both of y'all a couple, and then we'll get on out of here. Um, I'll start with I'll start with Tamika with question thirty nine on the list of three sixty five. To you, what does the American dream mean? Ah, yes, the American dream. Mm. <laughs> the American dream is a falsehood. <laughs> right now. No, okay. I hear it. Talk it. <laughs> um, that's a She's good question go because off. you know my family's not from the United States. So yes, I would say that the American dream is something that are that is given this idea that's given to a lot of immigrants per se, and Americans too, thinking that you know America is the place where you have all your dreams come true <laughs> and everything that you might think of, you're able to obtain, and that might very well be it. But at the end of the day. The American dream does not work for everybody. It does not work for most black people. It does not work for most non-white people. Mm. So now most non-white people without money. So that's my idea of the American dream. The American dream is believing that you can obtain all that you can obtain when you have money. Okay. I like that. You took a different route than most people we've had on here, but that's what we like. That real thing. <laughs> wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you number 53, Raquel. What is, and this can be positive or negative, what is the most defining moment of your life thus far? Um, I guess probably just working in the field that I, I, I spent so much time collecting loans from. Um, <laughs> like, I think about that every day, especially, no. um, I just got into this new, um, consulting role and I mean, I, I, it's cool. Um, I've only been here for like four, three months. Um, and I'm just I'm like, this is, this is, this is cool. I couldn't see myself being here long-term. Um, but I'm like, at least I'm working in my field. I would hate I mean, I got like thousands of dollars in debt. It's ridiculous. Um, I mean, we literally go to school to collect debt so that we can get a job to pay it off. It's crazy, but I'm happy that I'm at least like working in the field that caused me all the debt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Mm -hmm. Number 54. Everyone, if you ever heard the podcast, you know, if there's a guest on, they're going to get asked this. If y'all need her answer, let me know. I do have a better answer available if you need that one. 
We have Mama B on, who you both know. She gave a great answer, gives good insight. Question 54 will always get asked, and this is for both of y'all. We can go to Mika then Raquel. In the haste of your daily life, what are you not seeing? You know what? That's the wrong question. My bad. Um, that is a question for y'all, but that is not the question I thought it was. <laughs> Um, th this is just a one-person question to me. <laughs> in the haste of your daily life, what are you not seeing? Um, enough money. Mm. Oh my Girl, God. say that again. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right, here we go. I'm gonna give each of you two more after this one. This one's a quick one. Raquel, what is your most beloved childhood memory? Um, spending the summers uh, with my dad in Georgia. Yeah, mm. my daddy's girl. Nothing specific, just that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait a second, I'm looking, I'm looking. I got two more for each. Let's see, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to give y'all something spicy. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. Um... Oh, here we go. 91. We'll circle back to Raquel. 91. What personal prisons have you built out of Ooh. fear? Personal prisons. Um, I think allowing... Wow, this is deep. Um, I think allowing <laughs> myself to be mm -hmm. uh, truly vulnerable mm -hmm. in relationships. Um, I, I've had some friends kind of like tell me over like the past year or so like how I operate and I'd be like I'm very like introspective like I take the time to like really look at myself and, and be very intentional about it um and so when they told me that I do this that I like I'm very cautious not and I'm like I could be friends with somebody for a year and then that's when I start opening up and they're like yo like we've been kicking it for a whole year like really getting to know each other and you just now starting to like call me your friend and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I didn't even realize that I like that was something that I did. So, um, yeah, I guess that's it. Okay, here we go. This is the question. One nineteen. Oh my lord, Jesus! Is this the one for both? It, this is the one for both. So that does mean y'all both still have one additional question. This is the one for both. If you want her answer, whatever. If you want Mama B's great answer. She she gotta hop back in here. If you want Mama B's great answer, then I can give you that as well. Um again, if you could live one day of your life over again, what day would you choose? Do you need any of the answers? Sure. All right. I I was gonna give it to you regardless, I'm not gonna lie. Um, just for perspective, when we had Mama B on for her hour and a half little session, it was a good episode, by the way. Um, she said if she had one day to relive, the day that she would relive would be her wedding day. And she would relive it because she doesn't think that she spent enough time with her father. And her and her mom had a con an intimate conversation about like how her father felt that night. And she just said, all in all, she would relive that day because she didn't really think, she wasn't seeing it from his perspective or the grand scheme of like, I'm his only kid, I'm his only daughter, and he's now giving me away to some other man 
Like he, there's now boundaries and lines he can't overstep because I'm some man's wife now. So she wished she could have gone back and spent a little more time with him on her wedding day. So sweet. Wow. So what day would y'all relive? I know I can't right. talk that. It's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish it's you had to say that. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't have a day that's like even close to that. Um. Okay. Um. Yeah. This doesn't. This doesn't. Clo- this doesn't top hers or anything close. But maybe when I was a little kid. I used to um, <laughs> I used to spend a lot of summers in New York because my dad lives in New York and I have cousins up there who are my age kind of. And we used to run around the city a little bit. So I think I would relive one of those days of us just riding bikes and, you know, sneaking into movie theaters and just doing like crazy kid things just being yeah all around the city i mean it was really fun and i remember this one day Uh um i'll never forget this my mom doesn't even know about this but um it was one night we were in like Times square and it was like 4 a.m mind you i'm like in fourth grade at this time i was in probably like fourth or fifth grade when we did this and they were older like i was the youngest one there they were probably in middle school at the time but I remember we were out all night and we were in Times Square. It was like 4 a.m. And like the the Times Square was still kind of like packed and everything. So it was just like such a like thrilling moment. I think like I was like, dang, like I'm really here. I'm surrounded by all these lights, like the city that never sleeps. Um, and it was just a really fun experience. And um, I really liked that part of my childhood, being able to do those things. Um, I don't think I have one specific day either. Um, last year for my birthday, I went to Ghana, um, and I spent like, like four, four or five days there. And I tried to like take in every moment, but it was so overwhelming, obviously, because it was my first time in Africa and I just wanted to like learn everything and just see everything. Um, and I think if I could just like go back and even just spend like one day, there was no specific day that was like more significant than the other. Every day there was like absolutely amazing. Um, but if I could just go back and just spend one more day there and just soak it in one more good time, not that I don't think I'm going to go back. I do. Um, but my, the way my finance is looking like right now, oh, might be a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, if I could just do that, that would be great. But nothing specific. All right, here we go. We got one last one. We're going to wrap it. Tamika, well, one per person. Tamika, what do you feel you owe yourself? I think I owe myself some confidence in the sense that I feel like I am more powerful than I give myself credit for. Um. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm someone who, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. But I think sometimes I don't consciously know that. So I'll like say like, oh, I can't do whatever. But then I do it right then and there. So I think I just owe myself a little bit more confidence in the fact that I'm able to do everything that I set my mind to um, with the help and strength of my Lord. But but yeah, just a little bit more confidence (laughs) in doing the things that I say I'm going to do. All right, last one right here. It's coming for Raquel. What's the difference? One thirty-four, by the way. What's the difference between settling for things and accepting the way things are? Mm. Uh, 
I think it's the fight. Um, if you are settling for something, you just taking it. You're just taking it the way that it is. Um, just point blank, regardless if it's, it's like what you want it to be or not. Um, I think taking things the way that it, that they are. Um, I, I don't. I feel like for that, like, could be perspective. Like, you could be. Um, you know, allowing yourself to be more okay with something because you're you're breaking out of something, or you could be just like not trying to force something specific. Um, but I, I think it's I think it's about the fight. I think I think if you you are just settling, you're just going to take whatever it is. But if you are accepting something, it's it's you allowing yourself to know that this thing is okay, just because it's not what you specifically planned. Um, doesn't mean that it's not okay. I like that. That was a good answer. All right, Eric, what you got? You ready to wrap it? Yeah, I think we can wrap it up. Um, if you guys have any last things, um, you know what? Let's do this. Uh, one piece of advice you would give someone, a younger version of yourself. I'll go. So this is actually really great because I used to facil- facilitate something, help facilitate something called Cocoa Butter Conversations with the young Black girls from the high school that I went to. Um, over the summer, I was doing that. And I would say to them what I'm going to say, which is keep pushing and that the world is bigger than what that small bubble might feel like. And at the end of the day, they're just scared of your power and scared of how strong and how powerful you are. And people want to hold you back. But at the end of the day, you will conquer and you will make it and you'll be stronger than anybody could ever think or imagine. I can't lie. It's clear <laughs> you've done this before. Because when you started talking, I was like, this is this got to be someone who told someone this before. Um, I told myself. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I'm not mad at it. Um, I would say give yourself grace. Like you're gonna make mistakes. It's okay. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. Um, and just because you you know make a mistake and it, it may seem de- detrimental at the moment, it's it's not life altering. Um, it may be life altering, but that doesn't mean that you can't make it positive. But that doesn't mean that it's gonna be the kind of end all be all. Um, and you can't like pull yourself up from the straps and, 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 and keep pushing. Um, I would just say, great. You are allowed grace. Mm-hmm. Love that. Hey, uh, Tamika, Raquel, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having conversations with us, answering questions and topics that we had kind of giving us insight, the listeners insight. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, very Thanks for having me. To say the least. Having us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you guys who you know for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting us and we-
you Yeah I'm outside in an AMG Right outside TT Two turn baby girl you know me